We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome back to an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Joining me once again is the one and only Sam Munson. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. You can find, of course, the PFF NFL podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast. He does tremendous work over there. Sam, it's been a week since we talked last. During that time frame, the Packers picked up a huge win against the Bears, clinched a playoff berth, uh, which would have been certainly unexpected at different times through the course of the season. Before we jump into all of that and break it all down, how the heck have you been? Yeah, I've been good. Uh, how about you? Doing great. Thanks so much. Always appreciate having you on. Always great chatting, just NFL and Packers with you, and you certainly bring uh, an awesome level of expertise to this, so always appreciate it. Let's jump into Packers-Bears, though, right away. Uh, Packers did clinch that playoff berth, as we always like to kind of start off with every single week. What were your key takeaways from that game? Yeah, another game where I thought Jordan Love looked fantastic. Um, the offense looked really good. You know, that that trend has continued. Again, it, it, it might not have always been a perfectly smooth upward curve, but the overall pathway has been has been impressive and moving in the right direction. And, you know, Love, again, seemed to find that groove where he just hits these stretches where he's untouchable and he's playing incredibly well. And it's not just, you know... 
um, making impressive throws. It's not just great ball location that that has been a problem for him sometimes this season, but it's pocket presence. It's maneuvering within the pocket. It's understanding, you know, where the pressure is coming from, taking a couple of steps in one direction, not necessarily running, you know, when he has space, but just maneuvering his way for a throw later in the down. It's it's showing a really high level of understanding as well. So incredibly impressed by by Jordan Love again. Um, I, I thought the defense had another good game as well. Like that's two weeks in a row now where the defense has been dramatically better. And as we said, heading into this game, this was a much sterner test. You know, you were going up against, okay, maybe not as good a scheme, but a Justin Fields and a DJ Moore and, and playmakers that had the potential to hurt you. And they really didn't for most of the game. Yeah, I thought this was an impressive, well-put-together performance. One of the better 17-point offensive performances that you'll ever see, uh, in my opinion. And as far as Jordan Love goes, yeah, I think there have been a multitude of questions uh, that have come up with him over the course of the season. I remember back in training camp, it was good. Like one of the big narratives was, well, can he make enough wild throws? Well, we're seeing those pretty regularly now. Then it was obviously the accuracy. It was you know below 60% early on in the season. Was he going to have a good enough accuracy now at 64% on the season? And I think it was what 80 plus percent in this particular game. Yeah. He had five incompletions. In fact, two of them should have been highlight real touchdowns. Just unfortunately, the receivers couldn't haul them in. And then, um, you know, the other one, uh, so we what, had accuracy, oh, it's uh, turnover-worthy plays. And we saw it in this one. He had the fumble in this one. Potential interception uh, on the end of the first half in the back of the end zone. Malik Heath kind of breaks that up. Um, but overall, he's done a much better job of taking care of the ball over the second half of the season as well. It's been impressive to see him sort of at least – through a second half of the season sample size, answer a lot of those questions that were there earlier in the season. Yeah, he's kind of squeezed the Josh Allen career arc into like one season. You know, those first three years of Josh Allen where he went from like wildly inconsistent to, okay, there's real flashes of this here, but it's not quite where it needs to be. And then year three, it was like the light switch went on and Josh Allen became an all pro. Jordan Love has done that in like 17 games. It's insane. Like the, the back end of the season, I think from week nine onwards, the only quarterback with a better PFF grade is Brock Purdy. Um, and obviously he has the benefit of, the, of that incredible supporting cast and Kyle Shanahan and all those things that we know goes into the Brock Purdy story. So, but Jordan Love is right there with him. And as you said, early in the year, there weren't a ton of those games where he had a lot of those big time throws, the wow throws, but he's got like three or four games in the second half of the season where his big time throw rate is like 10%, which is nuts. Like that's an insane volume to be, to have, or an insane rate in any single game sample size. And he's done it three or four times in addition to radically improving his accuracy and his ball location, all those kinds of things. It's, it's actually crazy that the development that he's gotten, as I say, it's not always been this smooth curve all the way up. You know, there was the the Giants game that wasn't great, but like night and day, first half of the season, the second half of the season. And if that's real, you know, if it's it, there's always a danger once you start carving into small sample sizes. But if that's the way he's going, then I mean, Green Bay has done it again, right? They've gone superstar to superstar to superstar. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm with you in the just the range of, of how he's played from beginning to the season up until now. And I know um, there will be those that say like, 
well, in the first half of the season, you know, people were just hey, like, it was a different Jordan Love. And I don't think that was just Jordan. And as Matt LaFleur has mentioned yeah. um, over the course of the season, um, like there were receivers running wrong routes in the same spot on multiple routes. The offensive line wasn't performing well. Rashid Walker's taken a big step through the course of the season. Um, his receivers have gotten better. Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, heck, Bo Melton's come out of nowhere to be an impact performer in these past few weeks. So th- this offense around him has gotten better. I also feel like Matt LaFleur um, and, and sort of this offense took time to figure out what does Jordan do well? What are the things that we can ask him to do? And maybe even more importantly, what are the things that we can ask these wide receivers to do that they do well? It felt like that first half of the season was sort of a learning curve for everyone on offense. And then it was kind of the Steelers game and Matt's pointed this out as well. The Steelers game where things kind of started to click into place. And then after that, they just sort of have been humming. And and like you said, there's been some blips there that the Giants game is a great example of that, but overall a night and day difference from first half of the season to second half of the season. And I think they trust him more as well. Like I think part of this development in the second half of the season has been LaFleur and the coaching staff kind of actually understanding that he was further ahead mentally than they thought he would be. Like he's, he's actually capable of doing things that they were specifically sort of keeping off his plate to try and make his transition easier. And, you know, it's actually once they realize where he was, it's like the, the, the best thing we can do for him is give him the full playbook because that's the best version of this offense, right? Is, is the maximum, the maximum breadth of what we have, like that gets the best version of the quarterback. And we just didn't think he could handle that right away, but he can. And if you look at some of the plays he's making, like he's creating throws that aren't necessarily supposed to be there. He understands how the play is breaking down live at the time. You know, he understands what he needs to do to give this specific route, a little bit of, of a chance to develop or just a tick longer. And I think the coaching staff has, has come to that realization over the course of the year And so they're helping him more because they're giving him more. Yeah, multiple plays of examples of that. The Jaden Reed big play where he rolls to the left and Reed's coming up the sideline. Uh, Matt LaFleur said that that wasn't even necessarily part of the the progression on that play, but Jordan made it happen. Uh, the, the play at the end of the game where they need a big first down and he has to step up in the pocket, roll to his right. Tucker Kraft comes open over the, the middle and he hits Kraft and stride to pick up a key first down. Even though, again, the play that Romeo Dobbs dropped on the opening drive uh, for the opportunity to get a touchdown, that's one where he buys time, throws across, and, and finds uh, Romeo Dobbs to give him that opportunity. It's 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 everything. We're seeing him throw better in rhythm in the pocket. We're seeing him make big plays. We're seeing him have command at the line of scrimmage, which, and all of this is a first year starting quarterback. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to, we were going to talk about this later, but uh, PFF put out their awards this week. If uh, everyone hasn't checked it out yet, make sure to check those out over at PFF.com. But on that list, breakout player of the year, Jordan Love. I don't know if there's anything that we need to add based on what we've already said, but for all the reasons we just mentioned, he's been clearly the breakout player of this season. Yeah, I mean, the only rules to that that breakout award is it's not a rookie award, you know, so rookies that play well, they're not breaking out, they're just good right out of the box, you know, so they, they don't qualify for that. It's anybody year two and beyond, and there's a lot of really good breakout players this year, but I, I don't know that anybody can... Um, hold a candle to to what Jordan Love has done, particularly, as I said, in the second half of the season where he has just demonstrated this incredible um, growth arc and become, I mean, right now he's playing like a top five, top three, top two, as we said, quarterback in the NFL heading into the postseason with, you know, a live chance of knocking off a team as good as Dallas. 
I'm so excited for this game and I'm excited to break it down with you in just a minute here. Um, I didn't get a chance to look at, I'm assuming there was a coach of the year award on that awards list. Uh, it wasn't or, actually on that awards list. I think, I think, I yeah. think I managed to might have been just a player's out. list. I, yeah. I, but I just a question for you in general. Um, I know there have been some polls lately of like coach of the year candidates. And just to be clear, I, I don't think Matt's on that top two or three list of candidates for this season, but there were some lists that went five deep um, and didn't have Matt LaFleur on it. It's, there's been some really impressive coaching performances this year. Uh, where where do you come down on how Matt LaFleur just ranks in general after a nine and eight season in which it's whether it's a rebuild, a transition, whatever we want to call it, youngest team in football, trades away Aaron Rodgers, and now they're in the playoffs. Um, even I'll expand that even more in, in how Goody has done from an executive standpoint as well. I think he should be on any kind of short list. Um, I know. I mean, I I, I have a, an AP vote, so it's a top three for the AP. He wasn't on my top three, but like there's six, seven guys that you're looking at and saying, I would support an argument for any of these seven guys being a coach of the year. Um, you know, I ended up going with John Harbaugh, but Stefanski's on the short list. D'Amico Ryan's on the short list. Shane Steichen was on it until he met D'Amico Ryan's in week 18. And everyone was like, well, he can't win it now because D'Amico yeah. just beat him. That's that over. Um, you know, I, I think LaFleur is absolutely one. I, I hadn't seen anybody mention Sean McVay until recently. Um, and I think there's a good case for him as well. I think there's a lot of really good coach of the year type arguments out there. And LaFleur is absolutely one of them for some of the reasons we just talked about, it's not like he just sort of rolled in here and then did exactly the same thing all season long. He's shown coaching throughout the season. The offense has changed. Like he has adapted to the circumstances and that's part of the job. If you're able to show that and it's had a positive result, that's that's liter literally a plus in your kind of coaching column over the course of the season. And, you know, I don't think anybody expected Green Bay to be a playoff team. So the fact that they are, is is a testament to his coaching job. Yeah, I think that he probably would have needed to maybe win a couple of those games against the the Giants and the Buccaneers in that if they would have like went on this run to end the season, I think he's probably more in the conversation. Like you said, it's a, it's a really tough class of coaches to sort of go against this year. But maybe a same similar sort of question with maybe a, a slightly different lens. Packers team is nine and eight. Again, youngest team in football. Not a lot of people expected them in the playoffs. They're the number seven overall seed in the NFC tough game against Dallas coming up this week, but how do you evaluate this season on the whole for green Bay and how optimistic should Packer fans be moving forward based on what we've seen this year? I mean, you know, the, the playoffs remain to be seen how they're going to go, but even worst case scenario, they get beaten handily by a team like Dallas who looks better over the course of the season. And that's where the story ends. Even in those circumstances, I think this has been a wildly successful season for green Bay. As I said, I don't think anybody expected them to be a playoff team, to even be good. You know, this was a, hey, if we can get some signs of optimism for next year, it's been a successful season. Yeah. Instead, they would be coming out already a playoff team with pretty much every young player they have any kind of investment in looking good and looking like they're getting better. And potentially with Jordan Love, not just viable as a starting quarterback, but looking like a star going forward. Like if that is where the Packers are at the end of this season. It, it's virtually impossible to say that the year could have gone any better from their point of view. You know, taking the youngest team in the NFL and making it into a, a real, like a threat in the postseason is crazy. And then you would you would assume 
that next year with development and with another year of growth and all those kinds of things, like if it progresses the way you expect it to progress, they are a contender next year. Yeah, they have a, a ton of draft capital as well, which should uh, help things moving forward. I think if you would have asked any Packer fan at the beginning of the season that you could go nine and eight, get into the playoffs and have Jordan Love playing the way that he's played. I don't know of anyone that would have said, no, I'll pass. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll take my chances with something else. I think everyone would have signed up for that. As you mentioned, it's going to be an interesting just sort of development to see how they play in this playoff game. And that will um, kind of give you an idea of maybe where their ceiling is going into next year. But uh, overall, highly successful seasons so far. Before we get to Packers Cowboys, which I want to spend some time on, I do want to use like we usually do go over our notable performers, or I should say your notable performers from this week from PFF side of things. We talked about Jordan Love already, so we'll kind of leave that one to the side. Uh, but I want to start with the defense. Carl Brooks, top-rated defender this week with an 89.4 grade. Um, he's really been making an impact throughout the season, but this was probably his best game of the year. Yeah, it was a really good game by him. Um, he had one nice play that I saw a few people highlight where he just um, beat Tevin Jenkins, I think, the left guard one-on-one and, and got quick pressure. The other times he got pressure, though, he like single-handedly eliminated the entire interior of the offensive line on like a twist, right? Like twice. He did it from either side of the line. He just barreled into the gap, into the A-gap between the guard and the center. The, the guard didn't get to him quick enough. The center then got blindsided so badly that on both occasions, he like took out the other guard. So Carl Brooks created, I think at least one of them was a sack. I think the other one might have just been pressure, but blew up the entire play by himself by taking out all three interior players. The first one allowed Kenny Clark to come around and was just completely untouched because there were no interior defenders or interior blockers left anymore. Um, and then the other one, he did the same thing, like wrecked the interior. There was pressure and it, it three or four guys were able to converge on the quarterback at that point. But yeah, like Brooks twice absolutely annihilated the entire interior of that offensive line with a quick first step and the power of that initial contact. Yeah, that's sort of his superpower, that quick first step and then initial power. He's he's kind of been an agent of chaos inside, like you said, just kind of creating uh, chaos and a ruckus and just opening lanes up for other pass rushers. And it worked really, really well this week. I think there was a little bit of a notable difference once Nate Davis went out of this game for Chicago. But as you mentioned, even you went up against Tevin Jenkins and found success as well. He's been a really, really fun player to watch all throughout this season. The second one on defense I wanted to talk about was Jair Alexander obviously had a, a ton of um, discussion about him going into the week, had been suspended the week before. How is he going to play coming into this game? Not a massive grade, 74.9 grade. I thought he was better in coverage than he had been uh, at different points during the season. Seemed a little bit more willing as a, a tackler and as a run defender. Uh, what was your view of Jair in this game? Hey friends, I'm sure you're all familiar with some of the hassles of finding game tickets at a reasonable price without all the headaches that go along with it. I've been on a bit of a roll lately as I went through one ticketing service that never sent me the tickets and I had to panically try to get a hold of somebody the day of the game. I had another service that didn't allow me to transfer tickets. So when I could no longer go to the Wisconsin Iowa game, transferring the tickets was extremely difficult. It was just all so frustrating. That was until I found Game Time. Game Time is so easy to use with a low price guarantee, event cancellation protection, easy to find tickets, and an even easier to use app. GameTime is the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through emails and have those same panicky moments that I did the day of a game. So next time you're buying tickets, make sure you snag them using GameTime, stress-free. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. 
Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Packaday for $20 off. Oh, and GameTime is also a great way to buy tickets for a holiday gift. Just make sure to use code Packaday. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. And his grade gets dragged down because the the one catch that he gave up was a was like a mental mistake, right? Like he ever yeah. the, the defense plays man, he passes it off and tries to play zone, stays on the backside. And that was the um the the crossing route the drag route to dj Moore and goes for 33 yards like that's a significant downgrade for alexander and it's just a it's a goof you know like it's not sort of it's not like he got beaten in coverage he just he just made a mess of the play dropped his coverage one when everyone else was playing the same the right coverage um and that like that's a significant negative that's difficult to pull back without a sort of big splash play like a pass breakup or something like that so I think you can look at his coverage in this game and say when he actually had the right play, he was really good Um, and and sticky coverage a lot. You know, they had him in press man a few times and nobody lost him. Um, The one time I actually saw him turned around a little bit was by Equinemius and Brown of all people had him turn around a little bit on the sideline, but the ball went somewhere else. But overall, I think, you know, it showed that Jair Alexander, when he plays press man or when he's, you know, just, playing coverage and he has that click and close ability he's as good he's as talented as any corner in the nfl but those are the the mistakes that are um that that determine essentially whether he's going to be like a 90 grade and look like the best corner in the league or it's going to be somewhere in the 70s and you're like you know if if we didn't have a 33 yard play in there he'd, he'd look great yeah, it's still, it feels still like a step in the right direction for Jair. If he can just kind of eliminate a player or two like that here or there, hopefully that's the right step for him moving forward. And he's they're going to need him this week against a high-powered Dallas offense to make sure that he's shutting down things as best as possible. Uh, let's talk about the the three young wide receivers really quick, and I'll let you go in any direction here. No no huge, huge grade for anyone, but Bo Melton, Jaden Reed, and Dontavian Wicks, all with grades in the 70s. Uh, your view of those three young wide receivers. I just that all of their young receivers look good. <laughs> it's yeah, actually, it's, it's wild to have had this kind of strike rate if it's as good as they look like they are. I mean, they've they've assembled the youngest receiving core in the NFL and all of them look like they're going to be useful players going forward, even ones that they hadn't planned on being useful people going forward. Like guys like Bo Melton, who are just, 
you know, randomly added to the team when when injuries or, or necessity required it. I mean, I liked Bo Melton like before he came into the NFL, but when he's the kind of player where where he gets zero opportunity and is already bouncing around the league, you're like, well, okay, so apparently the league doesn't like him, or apparently, you know, I saw something that wasn't there, and then he gets an opportunity for Green Bay and he shows up looking really good as well. So just an insane um job that they appear to have done to find a, this collection of really good players. It, it seems like certain teams like the Steelers have been good at wide receiver for so long. Green Bay had a little bit of a, a dip there for a, a moment, but like they've been so good at finding wide receivers. Um, there's other positions that Green Bay can't seem to find at all, but they, they seem to have a knack for finding them. And the, the, the conversation is always, well, they don't spend first round picks on them. Well, if you get guys like Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks and can find Bo Melton's off of practice squads, it makes it less necessary that you have to go get a guy in the first round. All right, let's let's talk about the big game this weekend, Packers, Cowboys. Uh, let's start with your keys to the game and anything that you're going to be watching in this matchup that could decide the game. I mean, I think a big thing is going to be, you know, can Green Bay's offense keep Dallas out of their pin the ears back pass rushing kind of situations? Because they have the best pass rush in the NFL. Micah Parsons is a defensive player of the year candidate, you know, has got as good a case as anybody. He might be the most unblockable sort of one-on-one force in the NFL this year. And if he's not, he's right there with the the top guys. So the fewer opportunities he has to do that, the better. And and the best way of mitigating that is to be able to run the ball and try and just stay ahead of the chains that way. And and not, you know, third and seven, third and nine, third and 11. Those are the plays that are going to kill you against this Dallas defense because they're too good at being able to get after it, particularly with Micah Parsons, but it's not just him. They've got other guys up front that are able to create pressure as well. So, you know, staying out of those obvious passing situations where the, the Dallas defense knows what to come. They're going to force the ball out quickly. And that allows guys like Deron Bland to kind of cheat and jump the first move as well. And he's done that a, a, a ton this year. So, you know, if if the offense can stay ahead of the chains, I think that's a huge key to this game. I'm with you. I think. Uh, they need to be able to run the ball in some capacity. Uh, we'll see if AJ Dillon's able to go this week. I don't really care that much. Like Aaron Jones needs to be a huge focal yeah. point of this offense. And it, to me, if it's if you're not going to hand to Jones, then more, I'm more on the like just let Love rip it. Then, but I'm more concerned that Jones doesn't get enough touches than that he gets too many touches in this game. Feels like they have to feature him in some capacity, even if it's out of the backfield as a pass catcher. That Dallas defense is so freaking fast, and they want to play pass defense and get after the quarterback. You can run at them when when Dallas has lost this year. Uh, they've given up a couple 200-yard games on the ground. They've they've struggled against that. I think Green Bay's got to find a way to develop that. And then I think I think Dallas in this game has more um, avenues to victory. I think that probably just goes without saying. Uh, but I, I think if Green Bay can probably get a turnover or two uh, to go their way, they can win the turnover battle, run the football. That that to me is the the recipe for success. I think if everything's straight up and everything just goes sort of according to plan, Dallas probably has the advantage. But I'm excited to see how Jordan Love plays against. He's he's been as you mentioned earlier on fire, and when he's on fire, he's really tough to stop. And I'm just interested to see if he can keep that up this week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't think it's it's overstating it to say that when he is in the zone, he's he's the match of Dak Prescott, who Dak Prescott's an MVP candidate this year. Right. And, and Jordan yeah. Love is playing at that level when he's in that zone. Uh, the other I mean, this is not a there's not really a game plan involved in this, but Dak Prescott, whether he has one of those games or not, is is a big key to this. He's had um 
he must have the highest variance of any quarterback in the NFL this year in terms of like performance, whether he's on or whether he's off. He's got multiple games this year. One, two, three, four, five games with a PFF grade above 90, including a 97, which is one of the best grades we've ever given in a single game. But he's also got three that are under 50. You know, he's got three outright bad games. And that was the unexpected loss to Arizona. Um, it was the uh, the expected but absolute beatdown against San Francisco, the loss, um, yep. and then the Buffalo game. So when Dak Prescott has a bad game, they don't win. Um, and then when he has an amazing game, they're almost impossible to stop. So I, I don't know that there's anything Green Bay can take from that in terms of a plan. You know, there's nothing you can really do, I think, to force him into that. But it, it's a huge variable about, you know, if Dak shows up and has one of those games where he is like Jordan Love, just in the zone, we're going to have some real problems. If, however, he has one of those games where some it's just not going right for him today, then we're in a really good situation. Enter Joe Barry <laughs> um, and, and how he is defense stalls against Dak. That, uh, that's a little bit scary. But uh, it's been interesting, though, because this Packers defense has played some of their better games. I mean, Kansas City, Detroit uh, on the road on Thanksgiving. Um, those were better performances for this Packers defense. I'm not saying they were great, but they were much better. And those were in some of their bigger games against better uh, offenses. Who knows? Yeah, this, this and let's been not, yeah, and let's not overlook the fact that, okay, the last two weeks, you know, Minnesota and Chicago, they're not exactly the best offense in the NFL, but those were must-win games. You know, Green Bay yep. was in a situation where you lose either one of those, you're not making the playoffs, and those were probably the two best defensive performances that this defense has had right at a time when everyone is like, it's time to fire Joe Barry. We've seen enough. This is a mess, right? So he's shown up. Generally, he's had his best performances defensive-wise against the better opposition, but also when his back was the furthest, that was the tightest against the wall, that's when that defense has looked the best. And this is one game for the season, right? There, there are no more do-overs. This is it. If This is the time to pull out everything good you have because if you don't do it this week, there is no next week. My expectations defensively are still relatively low, but I do think there are things that they've done in these past couple of weeks that they can carry over. They've, they've just been better. They've been better at tackling. They've been better in communication, rallying to the football, playing cohesive football. It's just, it's, it's been a different brand of defense. And if nothing else, that's better than where it was earlier this season. All right, a couple other quick ones before we get you out of here. What else are you looking forward to on a wildcard weekend that I think has some really, really fun matchups? I think it's a great weekend. Like, there's yeah. no game in, in this week that I'm not interested in. I think they're all really good. Even the ones that, like, maybe the football might be not might not be as good as some other games. Like, the storyline is fascinating. I mean, yeah. Philadelphia-Tampa Bay looks like the worst game on paper, but the Eagles are in crisis right now. They are, like, just not even stumbling into the playoffs. They've, like, fallen down the stairs into the playoffs. And... Okay, they're they're playing a Tampa Bay team who is only nine and eight and basically won, you know, the 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 bad division in the NFL. But it's absolutely live that they could win that game because the Eagles are a disaster right now. So even that game where you're like, that might be a terrible game, it's still interesting going into it because a they're the defending sort of Super Bowl NFC participant looks terrible and could easily lose the game. And, you know, people are the fact that there's talk that Sirianni could lose his job off the back of this just sort of says where they are right now. 
Yeah, it's been really interesting to see them just sort of fall flat in the second half of the season in a very aggressive way. Something feels very, very off there. Um, and that'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. If I told you there was one upset this week, um, what, what would be your sort of one that you're kind of keeping an eye on? Um, I don't even know if that would be an upset, right? Is Tampa Bay yeah, beating Philadelphia know. at this point an upset? I haven't actually looked what the lines are for any of these games yet. Um, but that I, I could definitely see Tampa Bay winning that game. I could see Green Bay beating Dallas as as big an upset as that would be. Um, and then I think those would be the two obvious ones that I would look at for live upset potential. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think both of those are going to be tight matchups. Philly by three is the uh, line right now. I'm still surprised Dallas seven and a half. I, like I said, I think Dallas has more avenues to win. That just seems a little bit aggressive with the way Green Bay's been playing, but that's why they play the games, I guess. Last but not least, uh, around the league, uh, Mike Rabel is terminated. Bears keep Matt Eberflus, but fire their offensive staff. Uh, we just learned a little bit ago, as uh, right before recording this, that Pete Carroll is going to take an advisor role in Seattle. Uh, as of recording this, we have not heard anything on Bill, uh, Bill Belichick as of yet. What's been your your biggest surprises or takeaways from this uh, Black Monday sort of cycle so far? I mean, Pete Carroll, that that news I didn't expect at all. Um, yeah. It's not quite the same as it is, you know, for some of these other moves. He's not being sort of outright fired and dumped out of the building. They're they're moving him upstairs. But I, I didn't see Pete Carroll changing, his role changing off the back of this season where I thought he did a pretty good job. Um, so that, I think, is the biggest shock. The Vrabel one, it's only not shocking because we heard it coming for a while. You know, there was, there was that talk for a few weeks before the end of the season but i do think that's kind of crazy i mean vrabel has consistently been one of the better coaches in the nfl and the main failings in tennessee have been personnel and i you know that wasn't his area that wasn't his remit in fact that appears to have been the source of a lot of the friction within tennessee so if your biggest problem with vrabel is he was a pain in the ass about personnel I mean, it looks like he might have been right about most of the things he was annoyed about. So maybe yeah. give him some more personnel control or at the very minimum, find a guy that he appears to be aligned with because, you know, he seems to have been right along the way. Um, and once you get to the game, like he's consistently outperformed, certainly the spread. Like if you want one measure of coaching performance, when his teams are underdogs, he still has a winning record. Like that's not normal for a head coach. So that, I think, is a fairly knee-jerk and probably bad uh, mistake in terms of um, a firing uh, during this coaching cycle. Yeah, I think so, too. It just felt like there was the, the you know, I guess, parting of, of thoughts between the the front office and, and head coach in, uh, in Tennessee, and it just feels like they, they went the wrong way. They should have gone with the head coach who was shown to be really, really good and gone away with the front office um, that has not been as good. But... We'll see. It's an interesting situation there. I, I was somewhat worried that, you know, Chicago might move on from Eberflus and get one of these top coaching candidates, um, but they they keep with him. I, I don't know how to read Eberflus with the talent and quarterback and everything that he's had there. I think I'm, it's mostly indifferent from a Packers point of view, um, but there I think could have been some really interesting candidates. And I do think that they're kind of repeating this cycle of, all right, they keep the coach one year too long. They draft the first round quarterback and then the next season, all of a sudden he's fired. And then you end up in this, nightmare situation for the third consecutive time yeah and they 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 haven't it's not like they did nothing you know they sort of fired the entire offensive staff but kept Eva Flus in place I also wonder if you know I mean Vrabel was probably not unexpected Bill Belichick isn't technically available yet but there are going to be some big names 
out there in the coaching hiring ether. I, I wonder if if a team like Chicago, you know, they weren't planning on firing the head coach, but maybe you sort of take a look at the guys available and be like, you know, maybe we should maybe actually should. <laughs> like, I know yeah. we, we we were okay with going with him again, but like alternatively there are some names out there that are pretty impressive and you know we're going we're keeping our guy who we don't even know is any good yet it, i mean it's 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 a gamble yeah things have changed and, and weirder things have happened in the nfl and sometimes just when you think your job is safe it ends up not being the case sam amazing stuff as always uh tell everyone about the podcast and uh anywhere we can find your work Yep, PFF NFL podcast is where I am five days a week. Um, we we're still up for our award, so if you haven't voted, we will absolutely take any any votes that are going. It's uh, my pin tweet, or you'll find it in the description of any of our podcasts that you find. I'll make sure to shoot it in the description of our podcast for today as well. Again, make sure to find him at PFF underscore Sam. You can find me at Andy Herman NFL. That's going to do it for us today. But until next time, and as always, go Paco. 